Vue.js is a library for building web interfaces. Evan Yu is the creator of Vue.js. Evan, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks. Hi. So when you started building Vue.js two years ago, what was the landscape of front-end JavaScript frameworks like? Um, I think at that time, it was mostly Angular. Backbone was still pretty big back then, I believe. React just started to caught on, but like no way near what it is today. Um, I think people were mostly just starting to discover the power of declarative views, data bindings, and all that. Um, I think components was still a relatively new concept. What was your favorite front-end framework around that time? What were you using the most? Um, actually, I don't have one back then, I think. So I used Backbone a little bit, felt it was too bare-bones. Um, I used Angular, felt it was too heavy for what I was doing. Mm. Um, so yeah, actually for most of the work I was doing back then, I wrote vanilla JavaScript most of the time. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So when, when you used the frameworks, you didn't feel like they were saving your time. They, they weren't doing their job essentially. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, and so is, is that what compelled you to, to make Vue.js is these problems that you saw with the other frameworks? Yeah, I think it was. Um, I think it was mostly. Most importantly, it was trying to scratch my own itch. Mm. To put it that way, um, I think uh, I had a pretty special, uh, pretty specific use case for the type of work I was doing, and just turns out there wasn't one library or framework that catered to it really well. Is that use case rapid prototyping? Yeah. Okay, interesting. So what is unique about rapid prototyping that makes it kind of different than, than other types of web development? So, so the first thing is um, you want to get some core benefits from, from the framework that you're using. For example, uh, you want to say you have a piece of data and you want to map it to a rendered view, right? You want that mapping to be painless, very streamlined, simple, and fast to get started. But So Backbone is lightweight, but it doesn't really address anything like that. Like you still have to do, you know, J like a lot of jQuery, event listener binding. You have to do the re-render yourself. It's by no means declarative, right? Angular does that. Um, it's, it, it's, it has data binding, but it has a lot of overhead, which I don't really need, right? When I'm doing rapid prototyping, I want to be able to just crack open a file and start doing what I want to see on the screen instead of having to, you know, think about how do I set up the, the folder structures? How do I actually use this thing? How do I, you know, do all the architectural decisions first before I can actually get to things on the screen? So these other frameworks, maybe premature optimization, if you're just coming at it from the, from the point of rapid prototyping. Right. Um, I wouldn't say it's premature optimization, but it's more like they're solving a different problem or they are approaching the problem from a different perspective. Like for them, the value of the framework is um, the structure, enforcing rules, giving you everything you need. But uh, that's just not the case for rapid prototyping, right? Mm. 
Did did you think there was a trade-off that you would have to make? Like if you wanted to build a framework for rapid prototyping, did you say up front, you know, this this is going to be building prototypes that are going to be unscalable? I don't think there is necessarily a trade-off. So that's why I built Vue in a specific way where I think it's possible to, you know, end up at a um, end up with something progressive. So you have a very minimal core that does a few things really well. For example, uh, the data binding part uh, and the components part, right? These are the two things that I needed most in my rapid prototyping. So the core is just that, but it doesn't mean you cannot build on top of that core to you know, provide additional tooling or supporting libraries or architectural guidelines to help you like turn it into something that's suitable for serious and large applications. Um, are there other people that have different workflows for building application prototypes? Because like, like I know in my personal experience, like I love writing small prototype applications. I love doing full stack JavaScript stuff. Mm-hmm. But the times where I take where like the application takes off, like I, I rarely end up scrapping my code. So in that sense, it doesn't really feel like a prototype, you know, like prototype, mm-hmm. I think kind of, uh, implies that you're going to throw away the prototype eventually. Right. Or, um, I think prototype is just, um, the, what, what I was doing specifically, but it's not what view is only used for. Right. Mm. Um, so I built it in a way that it would work really well for prototypes, but if you want to use it to build real stuff, it's totally like built for real stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, right. So if say uh, I start with something using Vue, I can very easily turn it into a you know production grade app if I want to, uh, just taking the bits and pieces that worked, uh, refactor them into reusable components, and then you know add the uh, tooling and work uh, tooling around it, and then you get a real app, right? Um, the, I think the core idea is we would, it should be possible to start from something really simple without all the overhead and then re- uh, relatively, you know, paying, I guess, smoothly transition into a, um, a real app if you feel that's the right direction to go. Mm, okay. So I do want to get into the internals of Vue.js, um, mm. but you know, if we're talking about trade-offs between Vue.js versus insert JavaScript framework here, I think uh-huh. the main the main front-end framework, you know, that we would be comparing uh, Vue to might be React, because um, uh-huh. I've certainly done, of, of any uh, subject, I might have done the most shows about React because there's just so much popularity around it right now. Yeah. What What is the the downside so if you're comparing using Vue versus react in mm-hmm. terms of workflow mm-hmm. what are the workflow pains of a typical react application versus a Vue application okay so let's say you are completely new to Vue and react and you want to pick it up um, the exact step for you to try out Vue is pull it out from a cdn link and you can get started right you write some HTML, you write some JavaScript, it could be all in the same file and you can get something going. With React, the first thing you need to understand is JSX, right? That's the first hurdle. 
because like nobody wants to write raw like react.create element to to describe your view, right? So you need JSX. But to get JSX, you would need uh, an inline. You know, uh, you could either either use the um, the built-in like transform that that runs in the browser. But the thing is, if you use that, it, like you cannot use that in production, right? Because you don't want to compile JSX in runtime. So you quickly have to understand all the workflow around transpiling JSX properly. Then you would have to get into Browserify, CommonJS modules, Webpack, <laughs> React Transform, right. and then like because you know JSX Transform is deprecated now, you will have to understand how Babel works and how to use the Babel JSX Transform to properly transpile JSX. Right? It's it's um it's a lot of things to understand and grok at the same time just just to get a proper workflow for you know transpiling your JSX correctly. Yeah, and before you know it, you have like four terminal windows open. One of them right. is like running a gulp uh, script to you know build your JSX all the time, and then if right. that crashes, you forget that it's running, and then you have right. problems. Yeah, I, I can I can totally relate to to the issues that you're that you're talking about. Um, so let, let's start to get into how Vue actually works now that we have an idea of the high level value proposition. So uh-huh. for people who are still kind of unsure about some of these different vocabularies, so Vue is a is a MVVM library. Could you explain how the MVVM model works? Um so yeah, it started out uh as a VM MVVM library. That was the 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 initial tagline that I used is called MVVM made simple. But I'm recently I'm I'm less inclined to use that term oh, okay. because I don't believe um, it. Like people would have different understandings for these terms. Like when you argue about what MVC really is, everybody has his own opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I want I like I more or less avoid using that term now. But the the gist of it is um, MVVM. The most important thing in MVVM is this object called a VM, which is a view model that somehow links the view and the model, right? Um, the, the, the point is you would primarily work in the context of this view model thing instead of concerning yourself with the model or the view. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a typical MVC type environment, you would have to do the manual wiring be- between the M and the V in the C, right? You have to, some, for example, in Backbone, you have to observe changes on your model. Then when something change, uh, you would have to either re-render your view or uh, you know, do some fine-grade updates manually using jQuery. So um, this is error-prone and a lot of manual and repetitive work. So the value proposition of the view model is that it would take care of wiring up all the things for you. And uh, you just manipulate the view model in certain ways, but it's it's no longer, it's abstracted away. It abstracts away all the low-level dominant manipulations or uh, model observations that you have to do. Instead, you focus on a more abstract, just changing properties on the view model, calling some methods and... Uh, you know, the, the model updates and the view updates. Just keep right. the so, sync. So in the past with MVC, we're like, oh, okay, user updated a database. Uh, now we got to do all this 
manual propagation to the view layer. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, people realized, okay, we're doing this over and over and over again. Let's just build it into the framework instead of forcing people to do it manually. Right. Okay, interesting. So a few months ago, you wrote a blog post called A Reintroduction to Vue.js. And mm-hmm. I think part of the, the the naming there was was based on the fact that Vue.js had, had been around for a bit, and then you wrote this article. To give some historical context to the Vue.js project, why mm. did you write this post? Um, so primarily because Vue.js has evolved and, you know, changed a lot in the process of two years. Like, as I said, it was uh, originally, it was a really small experimental personal project. It was primarily useful prototyping, but along the way I found that it's possible to turn it into something that's more general purpose. Uh, And the, the best part is you can start from something very simple, very small and incrementally add the things that you need to make it a robust stack, a, a robust, you know, more framework-like thing that allows you to build uh, larger-scale apps. I think that is actually pretty similar to how React works, right? Like, the core of React itself is really simple. It's just a component model and how things are rendered. But you would need all these additional uh, tooling, guidelines, and support to, to make it a make it suitable for large-scale applications. Uh, and I think Vue.js has grown from this like very simple core to a suite of tools that would form an ecosystem of its own that uh, when, when put together, it works well together to, to be more like a framework rather than a small library. Mm, that's great. Okay, so the first aspect of Vue that you explored in this reintroduction to Vue.js was reactivity. Mm-hmm. C- can you connect the term reactivity to the things that we've discussed and describe how how rendered reactive objects listen for changes in Vue.js? Okay. So in Vue.js, uh, if we think in terms of MVVM, model is just plain JavaScript objects. There's no special like way to create a model. You just declare a plain object and it becomes your model, right? So... Um, you pass that mod object into a view instance. Uh, once view instance receives that object as its data, it will convert it to a reactive object. And uh, it does that by, by recursively walking all the properties in that object and convert them with the ES5 object defined property method. Um, so it still remains a property, but under the hood, we have set up a getter and setter for it. So inside the getter and setter, we would be able to do work like, you know, collect a dependency for this property whenever it is accessed. And whenever it is changed, we would uh, trigger a change event or, you know, notify it has changed on that dependency. So with this dependency collection system in place, we would then be able to, uh, you know, implement an observing system that um, whenever you... Whenever you touch one of these reactive objects, the observation system knows the dependencies that uh, the current uh, expression that's being evaluated has. So it, it basically, if you think about, say, we want to observe the result of an expression, which is A plus B, um, and when the observer runs, it, it knows you, you touched A, you touched B, so it keeps two dependencies. 
one for A and one for B. And later on, when you change A or change B, uh, these dependencies would notify the observer, hey, something has changed. You need to reevaluate this expression. So that's how it works on a high level. Um, and then we would uh, do the grunt work of you know, wiring up these observers or watchers to the actual DOM uh, manipulation stuff um, so, so that when you change your plane object, changes are instantly reflected into the DOM. Does this model of reactivity have any glaring differences between how React or Angular handle th- this idea of reactivity? Yeah, it's totally different, right? Okay. Um, so I would I would I usually use the um, use the metaphor of a pull based system versus a push based system. Um, so a, both React and Angular are pull based systems because um, they like. They all use plain objects as model too, right? But the thing is, um, when you just change the object, nothing happens. You have to give the system a signal to tell it, hey, something has changed, but I don't know what has changed. You need to pull the changes. You need to basically um, go through everything that could potentially change to figure out what exactly has changed. So in Angular, it's dirty checking, right? For for Angular, when something has changed, you enter a digest cycle. You go through every single watcher that might have changed to compare its new evaluated value with the old value. And if it actually has changed, you then you apply the DOM updates. That's how it works in Angular. And in React, you have to call set state so the component knows, oh, something has changed, and then it re-renders. It re-renders a new virtual DOM tree and compare it with the old one figure out what has changed, then apply the DOM updates, right? So both of them uh, rely on the user to first change some data, then give the system a signal to to basically do a somewhat expensive comparison between the new representation versus the old representation to figure out what has changed. Uh, In Angular, they, they hide the details a bit because they basically automatically digest everything for you if... Uh, you you call an event handler, but the underlying mechanism is it still needs a signal to know that something has potentially changed. Uh, in comparison, a push-based system uh, essentially keeps track of what has changed up front. So if you change something, you don't you don't need to give the signal yourself. When, at the moment you change it, the system already knows. Uh, so it and it knows exactly what has changed. So it it's able to just apply necessary updates that's related to that specific change. But the cost is a, a push-based system would usually have to do a bit more work to set up this reactive system uh, when when during initialization. Mm, interesting. So. Angular has some scalability issues that are associated with that reactivity model. Mm-hmm. Were you thinking about these when you wrote Vue.js, or was your was your motivation for for the different for the different approach just totally different than that? It has a, a little to do with that. I was okay. um, so you might have noticed Vue's syntax wise, it's a lot like Angular, right? Um, all the directive and stuff. So it was definitely inspired by Angular at that time. I was investigating how data binding actually worked in Angular and found out it uses dirty checking, which I think is, uh, it worked, but it's it just didn't feel elegant. Um, and, and then 
of course, there's the you know the performance scale issue that you just mentioned. So um, that's part of the reason I want to explore the possibility of a pure dependency tracking based system. Could you go into that Angular scalability problem? Like, what actually causes that problem? So the problem is dirty checking is a pretty brute forced uh, way to detect changes. So um, to ensure everything is actually updated correctly, you would have to uh, digest every single watcher uh, that might have been affected by a change. So, so in that, so if we think about an Angular app as a lot of nested scopes, if you change a single property in the root scope, uh, Angular would have to call like digest out every single scope on the page. Ah, yes. That affects every single watcher on the page. And it's very hard to optimize that because um, there's no easy way for you to, in Angular, for you to declare, say, uh, to to provide a shortcut, say, you don't need to check things in this scope. Um, However, in Vue.js, that that is feasible. In Vue.js, it's totally different, right? In Vue.js, because every single watcher keeps keeps track of its own dependencies, so let's say you changed a, a a data property that affects only a single watcher, then only that watcher would have to reevaluate. All the other watchers are just you know has nothing to do with it. They just do nothing. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So and in comparison, in React, we have a similar problem. When you you know re-render a a root component, all the child components have to re-render too. But in React, they provide the mechanism called should component update, which allows you to short circuit it to, you know, to do a faster comparison. Say, hey, if these conditions are not met, you can completely skip this subtree. So that makes it easier to, it gives you the opportunity to hand to optimize the whole, you know, change process. Whereas in Angular 1, there's just no such way to do it. So the only way to do it is limit the amount of watchers in your app which is not an easy thing to do if your app app is big. That's kind of a non-starter. Right. So when programmers are creating complex interfaces in Vue.js, they use components. And people who use React would be familiar with the concept of components. How do Vue.js components compare to React components? Okay, um, it's uh, it's very similar in terms of how you would break your interface into components. Say we have an app, you would the if you take a top-down approach, the first thing you think about is how can I divide this app into separate parts, and each part could be a component. Uh, so I would say if you're building a, a user interface with view and with React, the, you would end up with a very similar set of components. Um, it could almost be pretty equivalent. Uh, a, ma- a major difference in React is um, components in React could do some pretty fancy, fancy things like higher order components or uh, you know they just introduced uh, this uh, pure function component in point 0.14, I believe. Um, so, so in React, because every component core is just a render function, and this render function is like a pure function, right? So um, it's very possible to think of React components as a as composable functions, which is really nice. Uh, whereas in, in Vue, 
uh, I'd like to uh, I'd like to tie view components more closely to what people are familiar with, right? Um, it's it's more like a component's made up of a template. It's made up with associated CSS styling and the JavaScript logic that drives this component. Um, so it's it's much closer to the mental model you would write. And for people who are familiar with HTML, CSS, JavaScript, they would be able to take a Vue.js component and instantly understand what this is about. Whereas in React... Um, the the general uh, the general trend is you put everything in in JavaScript. A React component is just pure JavaScript, and even including the styling, including how you de- describe your view. Right? It is actually nice if you are a very hardcore programmer, but for some, you know, especially designers or uh, people who are um, People who prefer to work in this uh, with this separate separative concern model, like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, uh, it could be a turnoff. Uh, but I think that's uh, that's more or less a preference. And um, in the end, it, it's really about which model makes you more productive as a developer, right? I believe some developers would be more productive with the way React does things, but some developers would be would be more productive with the way uh, Vue. Uh, thinks what a component should be like. Mm, I like that you don't you don't seem to think of the JavaScript framework game as a as a zero sum game. It sounds like you are uh, more comfortable saying eh, there's not necessarily a best way to do things. You do things how you want to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So Vue has a two way data binding, and um, you know I after doing all these shows with with React guys, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of got um, sucked into the idea that one-way data binding was just the way to do things. So could mm-hmm. you contrast the Vue's way of doing things, the two-way data binding, with how React does the one-way data binding? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this is a commonly raised question. Like, I've answered that a few times, and there's, I believe there is a lot of misunderstanding around two-way binding. Like, what it actually is, right? People sort of confuse it, uh, confuse between several un- several versions of two-way data bindings. The first thing is um, a lot of times when we showcase two-way data bindings in, in a framework like Angular or Vue, it's actually just the forms, right? The form bindings. You have an input box on the page, then you have uh, some value in your, in your object model, and when you type in the input box, you see the value update instantly. So that's the this type of two-way data binding is actually just syntax sugar. It's just the syntax sugar for a one-way binding to the value of the input box and an like unchanged on listener that somehow modifies the uh, the, the model. Um, so if you want to do this, you know, one-way bind to the value, then uh, Add an unchanged listener. It's that's how you would do it in React, right? You explicitly add a, a, a change listener, then you modify the state. The state changes, triggering a re-render, which updates the the value of the input box. That's exactly this how it works in Vue and Angular too. It's just we hide it behind the syntax sugar of a model directive. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't want the model directive, you can totally do it like the way React does it, right? So. I think the, this is there is no like um, fundamental difference between the two. It's just how the syntax would 
allow you to write a few less characters. But on the other hand, there is another concept of two-way data binding, which is、um, the, the data binding between scopes or components or models. Right? That's that's a question. That's a problem between、uh, model identity.、Um, say you have two models, each want to have the same field.、Um, one way to do it is you have a single model that's observed by many components, and that's the source of truth. Another approach is you each component would have its own copy of that thing. But somehow they try to keep each other in sync.、Um, so I think everyone has more or less agreed that the, you know, keeping separate copies and try to keep them in sync is an anti-pattern. So that's what people <laughs> say when they say two-way binding is terrible. Two-way binding is is no no good, right? That's actually what they're referring to.、Mm. Um, it's not the form two-way binding. They're、mm. like different things,、uh, and. And in, in Vue,、uh, when, when you you can you can you know pass data between components, right? And the default way in of data flow in Vue is also one way. It's you pass data from a parent component to a child component, and that data flow is one way. It's like top down.、Uh, it's possible to do a two way, but it's like you have to opt in to actually do that. Okay, so. As you're demystifying these different ideas of React versus Angular versus Vue, could you describe to me how the? I mean, we talked about MVVM a little bit, but how does this this architecture of Vue compare to the Flux architecture of React? Or are are these orthogonal ideas? This is actually orthogonal.、Uh, I I would I would say、um, Flux is. Flux is something right. Facebook like pushed out later after they they have React out in the field,、uh, and, I, and I would argue without Flux, React itself is is pretty much via MVVM, right? A, a component could hold hold its own state, and that component instance is more or less like a view model.、Um, so that's similar to how you would、uh, hold a piece of state inside a view component too.、Mm. Um, Right when you first start with React, without any knowledge about Flux, like the most sensible way to do thing is keep state inside your component and call set state to change change stuff, right?、Um, so without Flux, I think it's it's almost the same, right? So as the view view JS ecosystem develops, is there a, an analog to the Flux architecture? There more or less is, right? I I would say Flux is a very So I, I think Flux is a somewhat mister、uh, over. I think the original <laughs> representation is overly complex, like the way Facebook initially described it. I think the core idea, right? Of Flux, hence the Redux and all the right, other stuff that came around. Exactly. I think the core idea of Flux is pretty simple, right? You want to centralize your state management in your app. You want to be able to put put your state in a dedicated place. And your view components would not be able to directly mutate them. You would have to dispatch events, so to to actually change anything. And because of that, we can track these events. We can track these actions, and then we have a better time understanding what is actually going on. Instead of any component can change anything at any time, right? It's all about debuggability and being able to easily reason about how state changes in your app. Hmm. Makes sense. So <clears throat> we've talked some about the prototyping versus scalable、um, f- 
framework styles can view scale to you know like facebook built react essentially to i mean mm-hmm. to for, to solve their own problem i mean pl- plenty of, there it solves a bunch of problems for them but like one thing is they have this giant tree of elements you know the facebook news feed page that everybody mm-hmm. navigates to a million times a day right can view scale to to suit that type of problem i believe yes um so in react the um like I've done a bunch of benchmarks. Like more or less, it's um, there's not any like significant performance differences for the most common used, commonly used scenarios. Um, and I don't believe like React is like, for example, the the, the example you raised, like a huge newsfeed, right? React cannot handle infinite amount of DOM nodes either, right? Because the bigger <laughs> your app grows the more complex your, your virtual DOM tree is and the more work it has to do every time it re-renders, right? Every framework has a limitation and um, it's really hard to, you know, define the line where it says, where, where you say this framework just cannot scale beyond this point, right? Uh, this is a very hard to define. This thing itself is just really hard to define in general. Um, but like for... For most of the benchmarks and real world use cases I've seen, like I don't really see there is a you know definitive line where you say like you just can't build this app with Vue.js. If anything, right? If you think about it, if there is an app that's large enough that's like have that many nodes that that a front end framework cannot handle, then you probably have some UX design issues too, because. Uh, like I would say in 99% of the cases, um, the amount of information a normal user is able to digest uh, would not cause any performance issues in all the in any of the mainstream frameworks today, even Angular 1, right? Sure. People have been using Angular 1 all the time, uh, and it's, it's still relatively rare that you actually would run into this threshold where it just your app becomes unmanageably slow. Uh, that's mostly because... Ninety-nine percent of the apps are just not that complex. Yeah, and the okay. browsers is just fast enough. Right. Absolutely. So, and I guess that that uh, that really fits in nicely with your vision of you know choose your own adventure, do whatever framework works best for your own personal workflow. Right. Um. So, what are some best practices around building applications with? With Vue, I mean, um, you know, if, if well, I guess if, if you're just prototyping, maybe you don't even need to think about best practices. You just need to mm-hmm. think about how do you build your thing and ship it. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, so, yeah, it, it really depends on what type of thing you have in mind, right? Vue is great if you just want to start, start cranking out stuff on the screen. It's easy. You don't need, really need to think about structure or anything. But um, but when you want to build a complex app, I think a lot of things uh, in the React ecosystem could could apply over here, right? Uh, for example, the uh, the recommended way of building large VGS applications is using either Browserify or Webpack, and use the single file component format. And then uh, outside of that, you could use a state management pattern that's similar to Flux. 
Uh, I actually wrote a library called Vux, which is like a Flux variant that's specifically <laughs> designed for Vue.js.、Um, which, which is,、uh, you can also use Redux with Vue. Like people have been doing that too.、Uh, and yeah, like、uh, there is also a Flux variant called Nuclear.js, which is written by the, by the people at Optimizely. They've been using it with Vue.js, both Vue.js and React.、Um, so when your app, It's really about understanding what the scale you're aiming at and then do the right architectural decisions.、Um, and that takes a lot of experience, but that's not something Vue is trying to do for you, right? It's not, so the, the major difference between Vue and something like Angular or Ember is that Vue is unopinionated on how you would actually eventually structure your app.、Uh, we would provide the building blocks, but we don't force you into one way of doing things. Uh, so, you have the freedom of picking different, different things, different solutions for different parts of your stack, but at the same time, you have more responsibility in making these decisions.、Mm. So,、um, there are a couple topics. You know, we've, we've talked about comparisons to React and Angular, these kind of maybe more straightforward comparisons, but I'm also curious、mm. about how you see. View in relation to Elm and also in relation to Meteor. I know you, you、mm-hmm. currently work in Meteor, right? Yes. Okay, so I think those are also really interesting touch points for comparison because Meteor and Elm are both more full stack solutions. So I'm, I'm, I'm just curious about how, how you see those two different things.、Um, I think, well, I think Meteor and Elm are completely different. Certainly,、uh, absolutely. Right?、Uh, If any, so, Meteor is a full stack framework, that's for sure.、Uh, it's, it's very, very full stack. In fact, it goes all the way to your database,、uh, to your server side JavaScript, to your front end, and all that. If anything, Meteor is more like a platform.、Um, so, you can use React with Meteor, you can use Angular with Meteor, you can use Meteor's own view layer, or you can use Vue.js with Meteor. It's all possible.、Um, Meteor is a.、Uh, Is, is a,、um, if you think about it, it's, it's, it, it, it covers a much larger scope than just front end frameworks. So I think the comparison would be th- there's really no comparison here because Meteor is something you would opt into if you feel like you want to extend that integrated experience beyond your front end all the way into your server and your databases. Okay, I should have asked a more polished question, which might have been.、Right. How have your experiences at Meteor shaped the ways that you have constructed Vue? Oh, okay.、Um, it had, didn't have too much influence on Vue.js because I'd argue Vue serves a pretty different audience of people who use Meteor.、Um, Meteor is a very you know, integrated system. When you go with Meteor, you would have to do things the Meteor way.、Uh, on the contrary, Vue can be easily paired with any backend. For example, a lot of active Vue users are PHP users, like Laravel community uses Vue.js a lot.、Um, so the overlap between Vue.js users and Meteor users is、uh, relatively small. Like, people have recently, dis- like, there are a few people using Vue.js with Meteor. But like, that's not very common.、Um, and I'd like to keep it that way because I feel, you know, as I said before, you know, it's, it's not a zero sum game. It's more like P 
people finding their favorite tools that fits their workflow that makes them the most productive. And it's important that we have different frameworks that cater to different needs. Totally. So maybe it's more like, okay, Meteor is for building your real-time applications. If you want to use Vue.js as the Vue layer for your real-time applications, go for it. Yep, totally. Okay, so... Uh, what about Elm though? Um, what are your What are your thoughts on Elm? I think this is uh, we did a show about Elm, and I thought it was mm-hmm. a pretty interesting piece of technology. Yeah. Uh, so Elm is yet again something completely different, right? Absolutely. It's, foremost, it's a new language. Uh, it's it's um, you know it's heavily inspired by Haskell and all the functional paradigms. So the most important thing about Elm is. If you use Elm to develop anything, you would have to first adopt the fully functional way of thinking about your problem. Which, as you mentioned, I think in your discussion with React, you mm-hmm. kind of want to move away from because you're not really interested in catering to that audience. Um, or did, did you say that? Well, like, yeah, Vue doesn't particularly try to, like, try to you know, put pull all the influence from functional programming into how you would develop a view app. Right. Um, if people are like React by its nature plays nice well with plays well with uh, functional ideas, but still like you know it's it's React is still a middle ground if you are really into functional programming, right? When you use React and Redux, you're still working with JavaScript. You're still working with the language limitations. Yeah. But, but if you want to really go full functional, you would go with something like Elm or ClojureScript, right? Which has native immutable data structures so that you don't have to, you know, mess around with reducers or uh, immutable JS. So Elm, Elm is not a framework. So comparing it with frameworks like React or Vue.js is, is a bit of a mismatch because Elm is... It, it by it's more about the paradigm of how you how you approach programming in general, right? Um, so it's it's something it's on a larger scope. Uh, it tries to change the way you think about how you would develop applications, how you would write your code, right? So it, it's a much more ambitious thing. Uh, I think it's it's great, uh, and it would work really well, especially for for people who are into functional programming. They would find Elm like the best thing ever. Right. Um, but I but I also feel like right there are people who are who have have nothing who know nothing about functional programming. Uh, maybe they started with just HTML, CSS, JavaScript, but they still want to be able to quickly build something. Will, you know, the, the the core value is get things done. Right. So L might be theoretically a better way to do certain things, but it might not be the best way to achieve goals for everyone, right? Mm. So at the end of the day, you want to pick one thing that fits your mental model, that, that works well with what, with what you already know, uh, that allows you to achieve your goals in the least frictional way. Yeah. Yeah, I like that pragmatism. Um, and it sounds like you were really shaped by the fact that when you worked on Vue.js initially, you were writing most of your stuff in raw JavaScript. So mm-hmm. you really weren't shaped as much by the the thought cruft of other frameworks, it sounds like. 
Um, so I spoke to Eric Elliott recently, who's kind of this uh, really vocal JavaScript luminary, mm-hmm. a bazillion followers on Twitter, and you might have seen him. But um, so, uh, you know, I was telling him how I felt like we were in the wild west of full stack JavaScript in the sense that, um, you know, full stack JavaScript is kind of new relative to how much um, uh, emphasis there is on it and how, how much mm-hmm. stuff is going on. And he said that he thought we aren't even in the Wild West. We're in the Cambrian explosion period. So, like, even prior to the Wild West. Because okay. this, is, this is when I asked him, you know, are, you know, what do you think about best practices? And he said there are, there are even fewer best practices than we would have in a Wild West environment. So, um, do you agree with this? Do you think that we are, uh, you know, we're still so early that it's, it's really hard to, to um, decisively say that there are best practices for how to do things? Yeah, I, I think it's it has to do with the nature of the web, right? Um, it's just, the web is so flexible, and, and, and also because people want to do different things on the web, right? I think that's the, the core of the issue, is because people have different goals. Some people want to, you know, some people want to say, I, I use the web as a way of meeting my ends. So I just want to build something as quickly as possible. Uh, some people say, web is a great platform and we should transform it into you know, the best way of doing everything. Uh, or some people say, web is just uh, implementation detail. We should just add this you know, trans- layers of transpilation on top of it so that everybody can use functional programming on the web. <laughs> right? uh, I just feel like, People have different goals, and inevitably they end up with different tools to achieve their goals. Um, so it's it when you have different goals, it's impossible to say we have the best practice for doing everything. Right? Yeah, because web is just so versatile. Like we don't, it, we do, every people, everyone would have uh, a, their own approach of leveraging the web to do what they want, and. That's I think that's the root of the problem, right? Mm-hmm. So it's possible to to say when you define narrow the scope, say we want to find out the best practice for building large scale applications on the web. Then you might then we we might be able to you know talk about the concrete design decisions of what's important for large scale applications, you know language choices, tooling choices, and all that. But when you just vaguely say, what's the best practice for the web? It's such a hard question. <laughs> right, definitely. Okay, so uh, you know, I'd like to be to close off um, by talking a bit about the experience of launching Vue. Um, you wrote a post called "The First Week of Launching Vue.js," um, and it was kind of mm-hmm. interesting because you talked about your experience of just launching an open source piece of code and kind of your marketing around not really marketing, but like you looked at stats and stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm really curious about what you took away from that experience. Right. It's uh, it's like a, a self-experiment almost, right? I want to see what I can achieve. You know, it's like I have this idea, like what if I do this and to how, how far can I push this thing? Uh, so, you know, as I said, Vue.js started as this little experiment. It's a prototype-type-oriented thing. And later on, some people started using it. And I was curious. Like, maybe this is appealing to more people than I thought. 
How about I, you know, polish it up, package it nicely, and see if I can, you know, public like publicize it a bit more. So that was just a very simple motivation. I wanted to just try it and see what would happen, um, and yeah, it it worked out pretty well. I would say definitely better than my than what I expected. So. So I did some statistics. Mostly, I was interested in like how would an open source framework, uh, open source project, um, like what channels would affect how your how your thing is perceived. And uh, because I I noticed that uh, some people have really cool projects, but they don't market it. So um, it's somewhat circulated in in a very small circle of people who use it. It's actually great, but nobody knows about it. Right, uh, but but when you when you give it, it enough initial momentum and it reaches a critical mass, and it just keeps organically growing from there, I think that's what happened to to view. If I didn't do the initial sort of this round of marketing, uh, then it probably remains unknown. Like nobody would ever notice it existed. Uh, and I think it's it's somewhat important for for people doing open source. I think um, properly marketing your project pr- uh, to to let people know about it and explaining the benefits of it, you know, writing good readme, explaining the problem you're solving, is important because if nobody uses your thing, no matter how great it is, you know, it's still, you know, it, it's still not producing the value it should be. So uh, I think. Um, a lot of people focus too much on just you know building this thing that's great, technically superior, but not uh, making the the right statements or making the right marketing decisions to to let more people know about it. I, I think perhaps there was an era where all you had to do was build something that was so useful, eventually people would would use it, um, mm-hmm. and you don't need to focus on marketing. But I think that that has changed. I think that's the key of what you're getting at. Um, I I think, I I feel like I've experienced that somewhat in this podcast. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I, I have to do some marketing for it. I mean, like it's because podcast discovery is really weird. Mm -hmm. You know, in some, some ways it's probably like discovery of your JavaScript framework. There's, there's enough, there's enough JavaScript frameworks to go around. You know, there's no shortage of podcasts going around. It's like, how do you, how do you, you know, convey the value add? So, Anyway, well, <clears throat> Evan, it's been really great having you on Software Engineering Daily. I, I am a huge fan of, of your project and your ethos um, around Vue.js, and uh, I, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Yeah, it was really fun. <laughs>